Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 17 to 31, though I, I will read verses 13 to 31 for our scripture reading. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 31. And so, with that, open your Bible there. Hope you're, hopefully you're there at Mark chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse 13. And read all the way to verse 31, which is a familiar story to many of you. Some people were bringing little children to Jesus so he might touch them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, Whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Then, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So they were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. I assure you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields, because of me and the gospel, who will not receive 100 times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields, with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Father, we thank you that you speak to us as your children, not because we deserve to be your children. We actually deserve your condemnation and judgment because we have betrayed you and rebelled against you. And yet, in your kind grace, you have sent your son Jesus to to save us and to adopt us as children. And so we cry out to you, Abba, Father, we need your help. So, Father, would you come now in the power of your Holy Spirit and take these words and drive them deep into our souls that we might know and love 
Jesus more. And we pray that any of our friends here who don't know Christ, we ask, Father, that you would give them faith in Christ. Give them a trust in you that makes them willing to abandon everything to follow you. Apart from your Holy Spirit, Lord, we can do nothing. But with him and with your words, you can cause us to bear fruit. And that's what we're praying for now. So would you help us here, even as there are many gospel churches around our city and county preaching this morning. Help us all. In Jesus' name, amen. The quest for the fountain of youth and eternal life is one that crosses the mind of many people who ponder the reality of inevitable death. It makes for good stories. It makes for good movies. Maybe there is a fountain of youth somewhere where I can indeed live forever. When you think about death, you think about what happens after death and life after death. Is there life after death? And so this man here in verse 17, this rich man, asks a very relevant and important question. One of the most important questions you could ever ask in your life. Look at the question in verse 17. What must I do to what? Inherit what? Eternal life. I'm going to die one day. We're all going to die one day. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, why is this important? We're all going to die soon. Sooner than we think for most of us. And even when you expect it, it still comes unexpectedly. And it, it, it shakes us because we have not experienced death. And so we, don't, we have the fear of the unknown by lack of experience. Now, God reveals to us what happens after death, but we haven't experienced it ourselves. So there's that fear of the unknown of what happens when you finally go out and your eyes, you stop seeing and you stop thinking and you're dead. What happens? That's a, 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 something none of us have experienced. And so there's that fear of the unknown. Secondly, though, if there is eternal life, we should want to have it, right? I mean, if we're going to die and there is eternal life out there, I want to know what is it and how do I get it? How do I avoid eternal death? If, if there's eternal life, there must be eternal death. How do I avoid eternal death? The Bible teaches that there is eternal life and that there is eternal death. And we do well to answer this question, how to inherit eternal life and indeed live forever. So... We want to answer this question. We need to answer this question for our lives and for the lives of those we love. Here's the main idea of the text this morning. The main idea is trust Jesus like a child to inherit eternal life and live forever. Okay? That's the main idea that God wants to drive into our hearts this morning. Trust Jesus like a child to inherit eternal life and live forever. Now, there are three steps in this text to embracing this idea and integrating it into our lives. The three steps are hear, look, and live. Okay? Point number one, hear. Point number two, look. And point number three, live. Number one now, verses 17 to 22, hear God's call on your life. You need to hear what God is calling you in, to do and to be, what he's calling you actually in your life. So let's go back to the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a Jewish man coming to a Jewish rabbi asking the question. So I asked the question, 
how did Jews think about the etern- how did Jews think about eternal life in the Old Testament? Let me give you a few verses and phrases. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to quote it. Daniel 2:44 says that there will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed. But this kingdom will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. But this kingdom will endure forever. That's Daniel interpreting to Nebuchadnezzar the dream of the statue. That the kingdom of God will endure forever and crush all other kingdoms. In Daniel 12, verse 2, it says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. And, they, and those, who, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sun, or bright as the expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. This is eternal life. The resurrection to life and not to death. In the kingdom that never, ever ends. So here's the Jewish man saying, I'm reading Daniel, I'm reading Isaiah that there's a new creation, God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, How do I get to be part of that? How do I inherit that? The answer is in verse 18 and 19. What's Jesus' answer? So if that's a very important question, we need to get the right answer. What's Jesus' answer? Well, he starts with a question, like he always does. Question with a question. Why do you call me good? No one is good but who? God. There's only one who's good, and it's God. Why are you calling me good? Now, Jesus is not saying there that he's not good. He's just trying to make a point that we're going to pick up on in a second. But look at Jesus' answer. So that's that's introduction. Verse 19 is the answer. So you want to inherit eternal life? Okay, verse 19. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Have you murdered anyone? Don't commit adultery. Have you stolen anything? Don't bear false witness. Have you lied? Are you a liar? Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. How's your relationship with your parents? That's Jesus' answer. Have you done these commands? Keep the commands. Now, question for you, if you believe the gospel, if you're a Christian, did Jesus give the right answer or the wrong answer? Just think about it for a second. If your neighbor comes up to you and says, how do I inherit eternal life? If you were there with another one of the members of our church and they said, keep God's commands. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your parents. And you're there with a fellow church member. Are you going to keep quiet or are you going to say something? You're probably going to clarify, right? No, that's the wrong answer. But before we explain Jesus' answer, there's other wrong answers that we might, that are popular today in churches. I mean, Jesus didn't say pray a prayer. Some people might say pray the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Jesus doesn't say that. Some might say, well, just believe. Just believe in your heart in God. And then you can live however you want for the rest of your life. You don't have to follow Jesus. Just live however you want. And no one can ever have the right to question your salvation. And you can live like the devil, even though you're going to heaven. That's not his answer either. Though some churches actually, they might not say it that way, but they believe that if you believe, you say you believe, no one can ever question you, and you must be saved. It's not true biblically. Another wrong answer that Jesus did not give is, get baptized. Some people say you need to get baptized to get saved. And then put your name on a membership role. Get yourself on a church role as a member and then you'll be saved. And then you'll have eternal life. Now, of course, we believe in baptism and we believe in prayer and we believe in faith and we believe in church membership. But that's not his answer 
on how you inherit eternal life? His answer is, you know the commands. That's strange. Strange way of answering a question that all of us Christians who love our neighbors, want them to, we want them to ask us that question, right? We would just be excited if a neighbor asked us, hey, you go to church, right? How do I inherit eternal life? Well, let me tell you, you know, this is why, this is why I'm still here. This is why I'm not dead yet. I, this is what I live for right here, to tell you this. But Jesus goes with that answer. And the man answers back. Look at verse 20. His reply is, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth, ever since I was young. So here we have the delusion. He thought that he kept the commands. So what does Jesus do? He clarifies the situation. Because a man or a woman's self-perception is not always accurate. Some people say, no one can know my heart better than me. That's not biblically true. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You don't know my heart. You might not know my heart, but I don't necessarily know my heart either. You could think you got it. He thought he kept them. And Jesus is going to destroy. He's going to clarify this man's self-perception. And then he's going to demolish this man's self-perception. So look at verse 21. Jesus is about to demolish this guy's view of himself. But, but, before he demolishes it, in verse um, 21, it says, Jesus, before Jesus spoke, what does it say about Jesus in verse 21? Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Oh, how crucial. We've got to just pause here just for a second to think about this. Jesus loves this man who does not have eternal life. He lacks eternal life. He does not lack love from Jesus. Jesus looks at him with pity, with mercy, with a desire to see this man have eternal life. And so we need to love our neighbors in that way as well, don't we? We need to look at our neighbors and love them. How should love be expressed? Let me just challenge you as I challenge myself. Do we constantly pray for our neighbors by name? Do we fervently? So one is constancy. Do we do it regularly because we love them? You always pray for those you love, right? That's why whenever we ask for prayer requests, we always share prayer requests about our family members. Why? Because we, we love them. If we love our neighbors, we'll be praying for them regularly. Not only regularly, I'm convicting myself here as I'm hopefully convicting some of you here. Do we fervently pray for them? With, an, with a certain intensity where it's not just, oh, I have to pray regularly, so it's, a, it's something to check off the to-do list. But no, do we fervently pray for the lost? And then fourthly, what Jesus is going to do here, in Jesus' love for them, what does he do? He speaks, you lack one thing, go sell all you have. He says you lack one thing. Is that, an, is that, is that showing someone's deficiency or his sufficiency? When he says you lack one thing. He's showing him that this man is deficient, right? Here's another aspect of love. Love speaks truth to people. Love speaks truth to people. We speak the truth clearly without selfishly wanting their approval at the cost of their good. You know why we don't speak truth to each other? It's not because we love them. It's because we love who? Ourselves. And we don't want them to be mad at us because it's uncomfortable for us. So I'm not going to say it Because I don't want uncomfortability in my life. Well, who died and made me king? Right? 
Why, why, why does the world have to revolve around me? But if I want to serve my neighbor or serve my brother or sister, then we speak the truth in love. But sometimes those truths are hard truths to take. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. An enemy flatters, according to Proverbs. A friend tells the truth even when it hurts. Because they care. And Jesus here is not trying to get this guy to like him. He's trying to get this guy to have eternal life. So you might be mad at me, Jesus is saying, but I need to tell you the truth. Because this can save you. And I don't care really about my comfort. I care about your salvation. So I'm going to tell you the truth. And so here he is speaking the truth. So the point here is Jesus loves them. And so what is the truth he says? Let's go to verse 21. You lack one thing. Go sell all you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But the man was stunned at this demand in verse 22. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So did he take Jesus' offer or did he reject Jesus' offer? He rejected it, right? And so this clarifies the man's position. Now remember, the commands Jesus gave were all, most of them are from the ten, what we call the ten commandments, right? And most of these commands are from the second half. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. This is the the commands that have to do with interpersonal relationships. But what's the first command of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Number two is do not make any graven images okay don't do not make any graven images he didn't jesus did not talk about the first commands about god he went straight to the interpersonal commands and this man said i've kept them all i've kept the ten commandments so jesus says okay these other commands are based on the on the first command so let's go back to the first command do you have any other gods before me follow me give up everything and follow me or do you have another god before me Remember Jesus said earlier, no one is good but who? God. And and this man called Jesus what? Good. Therefore, Jesus is God. So he's testing him now. If you really think I'm good, and there's only one who's good, and that's God, then follow me. Have no other gods before me. And does this man keep that command? No. He breaks that command. Showing that even when he keeps all the other commands, he doesn't do it out of love for God. He does it for himself. So even his righteousness is filthy rags, like like Isaiah says. And that's the point, is clarification. You are a condemned sinner. You are not good enough. And if you don't hear God's call on your life, I'm talking about a call like a referee makes a a call, whether it's out of bounds, whose fault is it, right? Who is it out on? Here's God making the call. You're not righteous, you're a sinner. You're not good enough, you're going to hell in condemnation because you've broken the commands. That's what Jesus is saying. He's making the call here, he's clarifying the condemnation, but then he also clarifies the call. What do you need to do then? Sell all you have, give to the poor, and what? Come and what? Follow me. Okay, question here. Does this mean that every Christian has to go and sell all he has and give all that he has to the poor and come follow Jesus? No. You're saying, okay, I told you to open your Bibles because I want you to check here. You might say, well, PJ, it says that here in the text. You can't just tell me to go against the Bible. I'm not telling you to go against the Bible. I'm trying to help you understand the Bible. Okay? You cannot universalize this particular. If 
I tell, uh, if God tells a, 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 a man, love your kids and raise them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. He's saying that to the certain man. And you're a man, you could say, well, I don't have kids. Does that apply to me? In other words, it's a very specific command to a specific person for a specific situation. You rich man, go sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. In other words, we cannot universalize a particular. Okay? At the same time, some of you are like, all right, great. I'm going to keep some of my stuff. I don't have to go homeless today in the application of this message. Okay, good. But just because you don't universalize it doesn't mean you get to minimize it either. Okay? In other words, this is still a very demanding command. What does it say? Sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have what? Treasure or riches in heaven. There's the promise. And then come and do what? Follow me. So here's the demand. Jesus wants to press on this man what he values most. What does he value most? His money and possessions. So Jesus says, that's your God. Put me in place of this. Take me over this. For some of us who aren't rich, we're saying, I'll sell all I have right now. I don't got that much anyways. I'm in debt. Take my debt, you know. Right? Um, I'll give you everything I have. But you might have something else that you don't want to give to God. It could be your family. It can be friendships. It can be your career. It can be your health. It can be sensual pleasures. It can be power. It can be popularity. It can be fame. It can be physical attractiveness. It can be physical fitness. Jesus calls you to sell all that you have and have him. There's all kinds of idolatries that are acceptable to Christians, right? We are to, we want to have good families. But putting your family before God is sin. It's idolatry. That's what Jesus is getting at here. No other gods before God. He's calling this man to repent from his sin. So D.A. Carson says, The basic thrust is not sell your possessions and give to the poor, but come and follow me. That's the basic thrust. Whatever your wealth is, whatever your treasure is in your life, Jesus is telling you to lay that down and embrace him instead. And if you can't do that, that's the call. The call of faith and repentance. If you can't do that, you can't have eternal life. And so this man walks away sorrowful. He couldn't choose eternal life over his money. He loved his money too much. We would call him a slave of his money. And guess what? Everyone is a slave of someone or something. Whatever your God is in your life, you're a slave of. So some people say, I would never want to be a Christian. Why would I want to be a slave of God? I get that. All right. I want my freedom. Okay. Cool. You can have your freedom, but just know that your freedom from God is slavery to something else. It could be slavery to money. It can be slavery to, to, to family. It could be slavery to friendships. It could be slavery to fame. But everyone serves something as a God. And Jesus is the only God who actually dies for your sins and gives you eternal life. Your money won't do that. Your family won't do that. Your physical health won't do that. Your fame and your power and your relationships won't do it. You're a slave going to a dead end. Literally a dead end. Eternally dead end. And so Jesus there is calling, one, that we're condemned sinners, and two, calling us to follow him and have no other gods before him. But this is difficult. Actually, it's very difficult. So that's number one, is hear. Hear God's call. But number two, look. Look. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around. Now, here's Jesus doing the looking. He looks around and says, how hard it is for... 
how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Rich people, it's difficult for rich people to enter heaven, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the saving reign of Jesus, the new creational reign. So the disciples respond with what? Are they just clapping and saying, that's right, Jesus, amen. Is that their response in verse 24? What's their response? Astonishment. They're amazed. The same way that people got amazed when Jesus cast out a demon in, in, um, in Mark chapter 1. They're amazed here. They're just shocked. What? A rich man can't go to heaven. Now, why are they amazed by that? When you were rich, and sadly, this is true today with some false teaching in the church. When you were rich in those days, some people looked at that as a sign of God's favor. If you were poor, it was because you had some sin in your life. And if you were rich, it's because God had favor on you. So if a rich person can't go to heaven and they have God's favor, then who can go to heaven? That's their thought. We have that today in the prosperity gospel where there's some, some teachers and preachers, sadly, there's even a show called Preachers of L.A. Have you heard of that show? It's horrible. It's horrible in what they preach. But basically they're preaching that if you trust in God and give me some money, then God will make you rich. And it's all an issue of your faith. And they think that the richer you are, the more favor from God you have in your life. That's a lie. But they thought that here. So when Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to go to heaven, they're just like, their categories are exploding in their head. Like, like what? Rich people can't go to heaven? I thought they had God's favor. So Jesus doubles down on his point. Look at verse 24. He knows that they're shocked and he just gives it to them even harder. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is for, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So now... Now, now, now it's, just, it's impossible for everyone to go to the kingdom of God. This is just blowing their minds because even in culture today, um, outside the, those who understand the gospel, you know, when, when people say, who are those who, who deserve heaven? Who are those who are going to heaven? It's good people, right? So if I talk to some of my neighbors and they know I'm a pastor, they assume I'm a pastor, so therefore I'm going to heaven. So Jesus is saying, imagine Jesus saying, how hard it is for a pastor to enter the kingdom of God. Think of your good neighbors. You know, one of the patron, quote-unquote, saints in the world is Mother Teresa. She has a good name, right? And so think of Jesus saying how hard it is for Mother Teresa to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a pastor to enter into heaven, than for Mother Teresa to enter into heaven, than than for your good neighbor or your faithful church member to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's not just hard, it's what? Impossible. It is impossible. It's just as impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle that you thread, right? Some of us can't even get a a thread through the eye of a needle, right? (laughs) Let alone a camel. It's impossible for pigs to fly or to put the whole, all the gallons of the water of the ocean into a bottle. As impossible as, as it is to put all of the water of the ocean into a bottle so it is for you to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It's, not, it's impossible not just because you can't be perfect. It's impossible because our hearts are so sick that we don't even want God. This rich man is an illustration of all of us. We want the stuff of life. Singing that song, I'd rather have Jesus, is a hard song to sing if you think about it. I'd rather have Jesus 
than houses or lands? I'd rather have Jesus than riches or fame? I'd rather have Jesus than food? I'd rather have Jesus than to be the king of a vast domain? This is before democracy when this song was written. To be a king is to have absolute power? Would you really rather have Jesus and be poor than to be the king of the United States? I know we don't have a king here, but to literally have the king where you're the executive, legislative, and judicial branch and do everything you want and have all the money? It's impossible for us to want Jesus over these things. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's impossible. That's his verdict. In verse 26, he says, Who can be saved then? And Jesus says in verse 27, With men it is... Impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's impossible for you to make yourself a non-sinner. You're a sinner. It's impossible for a leopard to change his spots. It's impossible for you to change your heart. It's impossible for this rich man. God is calling this man and us to give up our most valued treasure and have God as our treasure. That's what worship and holiness is. That's what killing sin is. But it is impossible for us to do this on our own strength. We are not willing to give up or sell our most cherished treasures for Jesus. For me, it's my kids and my wife. It's my family. Jesus is telling me, put me before them. Give them up and follow me wherever I tell you. It's impossible for us to leave our everything and give it all away to follow Jesus. It's too high a price. We can't do it. It's impossible for you. You can't do it. But there's someone who did. Jesus left everything. Did he not? He sold it all. He became poor. To give to those who are poor in spirit. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus gave it all up and followed the Father. Even praying in the garden, let this cup be passed from me. No, you got to drink the cup of wrath. You got to go hang on the cross. You got to face my judgment for the sins of the world. And Jesus did it. He gave it up. He did what he's telling this rich young man to do. He did what we could not do. And as he dies for our sins and rises from the dead, he opens the door of salvation and gives us the power to give up everything to follow him. Amen? Amen. Praise God we have a Savior because we are too weak. It is impossible for us to worship God and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're too idolatrous. We're too selfish. We're too sinful. And yet Jesus gives it all up to break us free from our sin and from our condemnation. So here's the good news. You look away from yourself. Remember, point two is look. I didn't tell you where to look. Look away from yourself and look to who? God. With men it is impossible. With God all things are possible. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at how spiritual you can be. Don't look at your obedience and righteousness. Look at his righteousness. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we want you to understand one message. So if you're like, I don't understand what's going on here. This is a really old book. I'm confused. Just listen for one minute. Let me just tell you the gospel in one minute. God made you and he he owns us all. And we are accountable and answerable to him. God made us to reflect him because we're made as humans in his image. But we have sinned and rejected God. We have rebelled against God and God therefore calls us sinners and we are judged 
and sentenced to eternal condemnation in hell forever for our sins. But here's the good news. So if you're not a Christian, this is what we want you to hear if you hear anything today. God sent his son Jesus to be perfectly righteous, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise from the dead, so that if you would turn from your sins today and trust in Jesus, you can be saved today. God would give you the power to break free from your slavery to stuff and to people. That's the good news, and that's the offer God has for you this morning. This can't do, we can't do it, becomes a can do because Jesus did it. It's because of the gospel. And notice this man's question. He says, what must I do to what? Remember verse 17? What must I do to what? Receive, there's a better translation, inherit eternal life. In other words, what must I do to become a what? If you're going to inherit, someone who inherits something is called a, an heir, right? An heir. What must I do to become an heir? Think about it. What must someone do to become your heir? Can't some stranger just walk up to you and say, what must I do to become your heir and inherit all your possessions? What? <laughs> yeah. I, you can't do anything. You're not part of my family. I don't know you. There's nothing you can do to become an heir. Inheritances are for heirs. You don't do something to become an heir. You're born into it. Or you're born again into it. You're adopted into it. And just think about adoption. What does the child have to do to, to, to have the adopted parent choose them? What do they do to earn that adoption claim? Nothing. In other words, we Christians call this grace, not works, right? The question is wrong. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. You can't earn it. You don't earn adoption. You don't earn inheritance. You don't earn becoming my heir. I give it freely by my grace. Will you receive it? God gives it by his grace. So look away from yourself and look to the God who is graciously saying, come and have eternal life and be my child. Okay, that's number two. Number three is brief. So hear God's call that we're sinners and that we need to follow Christ. Look away from yourself because you don't have the power to answer that call and to meet that standard. Look away from yourself and look to who? Look to God because all things are possible with him through Christ and the gospel. And now third, live. Live eternally and enjoy eternal life right now. You know when eternal life begins? When you get saved. It doesn't begin after you die. Eternal life begins now. So I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, are you living eternal life today? What do I mean by that? Look at verse 28. Here's Peter strutting his badge of giving up everything for Christ. Look at verse 28. He says, Peter says, look, I have left everything in what? Or we have left everything in what? Followed you. We did it. You said it's impossible. We did it. You know, patting himself on the back. We did everything, you know, we, we left everything and followed you. And not only did we leave everything and follow you, poor us. We've left everything. Now, first of all, it's not true that we left, they left everything. Peter still had a house in Mark chapter 1. His mother-in-law was there. Apparently, after Jesus dies, they go fishing, right? Whose boat was that? I thought you left everything, right? right? You still own it. So, Peter literally did not sell everything, the way God, Jesus is telling this man to do it. 
But secondly, there's almost a badge of pride like, look at me, I left everything. Or even self-pity. Poor me, look at all the sacrifices I made for Jesus. This is a supposed sacrifice. But remember, even this sacrifice comes from God. But Jesus negates it right away. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 29. I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields. Notice, it's not just leaving possessions here. You're leaving everything, right? Your house, your family, the most important relationships. There's no one who's left all of these because of me and the gospel who will not, verse 30, who will not receive what? How many times? Say it out loud. How many times? 100 fold or 100 times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. In other words, is this a sacrifice? You left everything. Yes, that is a sacrifice. You left everything. But how many times do you receive back? A hundredfold. A hundredfold. This is not a sacrifice. God doesn't want want you to be begrudging in your sacrifices for him. This is like a boyfriend who falls in love and sacrifices time and money to win the heart of the woman he wishes to marry. Right? Is that a sacrifice? If he's complaining about the sacrifice, right? Oh, poor me. Got to do another date, you know? That's not a sacrifice if you're in love, right? Or what about the investor who invests 50% of his life savings or 80% of his life savings into an investment and he gets back a hundred times his investment. Is that a sacrifice? Did he win or lose in the end? He won, right? It's not a sacrifice. But you're like, but that's 80% of my life savings though, PJ. That's $400,000. You're telling me $400,000 is nothing? I'm not telling you $400,000 is nothing. I'm saying when you give up $400,000 and then you receive a hundred times back, stop wearing that badge of self-sacrifice. You just got rich off the investment. And so Peter here, poor me, I sacrificed everything and followed you. Jesus is just like saying, what are you talking about? Us poor Christians, poor pastor, give up all this. You know, people sometimes say, oh, it must be so hard to be a pastor. There's so many difficulties on your shoulder. We receive a hundred times what we sacrifice. This is not a sacrifice. It's a no-brainer, right? Isn't it a no-brainer? You receive a hundred times back, so give up everything, and then you have treasures in heaven and eternal life and a hundred times in this life. Who's not signing up for that? The ones who disbelieve. Right? If you believe Jesus, it's a no-brainer. Take it all. I'd rather have Jesus. Let's sing the song again. You know? Of course I'd rather have Jesus. You're going to give me a hundred times, and most of all, now, here's here's the tricky part about it. The hundred times is, is, why is all that gift good? It's not because the gift is our ultimate gift. The gift points us to who? The giver. And the only reason we want gifts is because it brings us closer to the giver. A lot of people want a hundredfold, but it's not because they want Jesus. They want Jesus' gifts. They want Jesus to be their chauffeur who drives them to their treasure. The chauffeur who drives them to their date rather than being the date himself. And Jesus is not about that. That's why he's saying, come and follow me. You got to believe in me. And when you do this, when you do this, you get treasure. So look at, look at the end of verse. You get something else. Now, just as we close with application here, what else do you get when you give up all these things in verse 30? 
A hundred times more, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. That's probably church family and Christian family. And fields, because everyone shares and meets each other's needs. What else do you get with all these gifts? Before eternal life, there's a, there's a word there that we don't like to read, but we have to underline it. With what? Persecutions. Ah, there's the, there's the fine print, right? It's the persecutions. That's not fine print. Jesus never, he's never ashamed to say that. If you follow me, if, if, you, love, if, if you follow me, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. He's saying that your treasure ultimately has to be who? Me, Jesus is saying, right? Because if you're just doing it for the gifts, you're going to get persecuted too. So there is sacrifice. There is persecution, but it's not a sacrifice when you gain. So Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? You give it all up for Jesus because you gain what you can never, ever lose. But there, yeah, there's persecution with it. So, by way of application, before we close, expect persecution and opposition when you follow Jesus. I don't want to hide that. I want to put that up front and center. Yes, Jesus will give you eternal life. Yes, you will have joy in this life now. You will have family in this life now. But with it, persecution. But you know what? Even the persecution is a gift from God. James 1, 2 says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers whenever you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith produces endurance, and when endurance has its perfect work, you, you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. When your trials in your life bring you closer to God, you win. Right? So persecutions are a gift, but I want, you to, I want to say this up front to Christians. If you're going to live eternal life right now, you have to expect persecution, and you have to embrace it. Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. It's just part of the deal. You follow Jesus, those who oppose Jesus will oppose you. And you just have to be part of that. You just got to accept that. Number two, though, in terms of application, look to, the, look to the reward, look to the hope. Paul and all those who suffered, they were all looking to the reward. Jesus, when he suffered, he was looking to the reward in Hebrews 12 too. Don't think about your trials. Look to the future. You're going to have eternal life. Destroy self-pity because all of us fight self-pity at times. And even as I'm preaching this, I admit there's times where I feel self-pity. I feel sorry for myself. But Jesus, Jesus is telling us, don't feel sorry for yourself. You get a hundred times more. As far as the whole family thing here, notice you can give up your family. Maybe not you, but everyone here probably, probably can raise their hand and, and share about another Christian they know whose family is not Christian and who have been estranged from their family for being Christian. Jesus divides families. Did you know that? Matthew 10, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword to turn father against son and mother against daughter. He said that in Matthew 10. And, but when you lose your family, sometimes you do, guess what you get back? A church family. You get a church family. That's what our church membership is. We have, I think I have 74, 900, the official number is like 959 or something. But on my prayer list, we have 75 members of this church who's our church family. And when we live like family, we really embrace one another. And Jesus says, hey, you are giving up your family, but you get a church family. And not only do you get a church family, all Christians from all churches become your families as well, right? And so you get a hundred times in this life. So embrace your church family and embrace the larger worldwide family of believers and then give yourself to making Christ known. Okay, I close here with an analogy. I'm closing my Bible here. Let me just give you an analogy before we close. Imagine a child that all of us know in this church. Imagine a child four or five years old, wandering the sidewalk here, 
and then walking on Somerset. And you know, they drive like, it's like a freeway here. I mean, it's like 40 miles per hour. They drive like 70 miles per hour on the street. Imagine a child lost and wandering on the street. So a three-year-old, four-year-old on the street wandering. Okay, so there's a child walking around. The child starts to cry because they almost get hit by a car. Child is freaking out, doesn't know where to go, where to turn in the middle of the street. Crying out for their parent or someone from the church who would listen, someone they know. And an adult sees him and runs out to him. Question, what would you do in that situation? The child cries for help. The child is scared. The child's in the middle of the street. What, are you, what would you do in that situation? The adult shouts at the cars, puts his hands up, stops, tries to stop the cars, waves the hands to get the attention of the drivers, picks up the child, takes the child back to the sidewalk, calms the child down, and figures out where the parent is. Is that what you would have done in that situation? Now, I didn't specify whether you were the child or the adult, but you're probably assuming you're the adult because you're not a three-year-old listening to the sermon this morning. But we need to realize that we're actually the three-year-old in the story. Would you fight off the adult because you can handle the situation on your own? I got this. Get off me. Mommy. You know, right? Would you fight off the adult? Or would you reach out your arms and get carried and lifted up and saved from this dangerous predicament? Realize that you are a child in great danger because of your sin, because of Satan, and because of this world. And God has come to pick you up. You're trapped in your sin. You're helpless to defeat sin and its inevitable consequence of eternal death. And here comes Jesus to pick you up. But you must become like a child. This rich young man could not see himself as a child. I don't need that. I got money. Where are you? Do you understand that you're the child and you need someone to pick you up and save you? Embrace the Lord Jesus who died for your sins and calls out to you with nails in his hands. Come, I want to pick you up and save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have mercy on children like us. Oftentimes we don't act like the three-year-old who needs help. We feel we're self-sufficient. We feel we got this and we don't need you and we don't need others. But you see right through our, our supposed self-sufficiency. You see right through our supposed strength. And you call us. And you pick us up. And we thank you. And we praise you. Thank you for being a dad who cares for us and protects us and provides for us and leads us. We pray that we would cling to Christ even more closely now. And we pray for any of our friends here or any who hear this message on the CD or online, we pray that they would trust in Jesus Christ and lay down their false gods, lay down their treasures, and embrace the truest, richest treasure in the universe, Jesus the Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.